0: Hello and welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I'm David Bax. Tyler Smith is on assignment joining me as guest host is the uh incomparably talented Susan Burke.
1: Oh, thank you. Hello.
0: Thank you for uh for joining me. Thank you for for doing oh, this. Oh, yeah, totally. Thank this you. This is for fun. Me. We announced I think a couple weeks ago Tyler and I that we were that he was taking a month off and so we're going to have a series of 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 guest hosts. They're all going to be they're all going to be fan favorites, listener favorites. Aww. I don't like the word fan. I don't feel like I've earned that <laughs> but listener favorites so uh you are the first you are christening this month
1: oh awesome well thank you very much so how are you i'm i'm good
0: you're um uh i, I we were talking a bit off mic but you're 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 planning your wedding i'm planning my wedding yeah that's a big and,
1: a big thing yeah it's getting close too it's it's in july and um i'm i'm very excited I'm still trying to figure out how to pay for everything yeah <laughs> but um but very excited
0: well you've You've invited me. Yes. And I don't know your fiancé. I don't know most of your friends, but i totally planning on going.
1: <laughs> Good. I hope that you come. Well, like, you know, like uh, Pat will be there and, and Josh will be there. Okay. So, so people be I know. People you know yeah. but
0: basically, um, uh, the idea of just having an excuse to put on a suit, go on like a day trip and drink and dance. Like, yeah. Yeah. I, I would, even if I don't know either of the people in the couple... I would absolutely, I would absolutely <laughs> well, do I mean, that.
1: I hope it's not weird that I invited you, that you're like, why would you invite me? <laughs> no, I, would, I,
0: I, I was touched, actually. Thank you. Uh, yeah. yeah, so I, yeah, I need to get on that uh, RSVP. Uh, anyway, in all your busyness, have you had time to see any movies?
1: I Yes, I, I always have time to see movies. What have you seen recently?
2: Um,
1: What? The, the last thing that I saw, oh, now it's slipping my mind, the name of it, Um. <laughs> Wait, what, what is that? D- w- I saw WX No. <laughs> no, I, I saw it's the remake of, what is it? Who Could Hurt a Child? Um, oh, oh yeah yeah uh, come it out called? and play I come out and called. play yeah i just saw that i didn't last see week. that
0: but i've read all the stories about the director
1: being yeah i didn't know it was um matt and i uh, my my uh future husband i don't like you don't the like word, the word I don't, fancy? no i don't like the word oh, fancy. if
0: i get engaged i will use that word <laughs> endlessly it's i can't a, wait
1: it's a it's a yeah i i have a a stand-up joke about it uh where i i say that i don't say fiance i say lover so i can be comfortable and nobody else can too so i <laughs> my my lover um
0: well i was actually I'll, uh, I'll let you get to your movie in a second i was listening to an episode actually of Dana Gould's podcast that uh-huh. you were on one half of oh yeah and the other half uh was
1: crap no. <laughs> yes
0: except except for one thing where uh um Eddie Pepitone recently got married, and yeah. he now refers to his wife as his ex-girlfriend, which I think is very that's, funny. <laughs>
1: yeah, that's very really cute. No, the the other half was great. It had it had Eddie and, and Jonah and yeah, those it wasn't.
0: guys. Are... Your half. <laughs> I'm sorry. So yeah, come out and play.
1: So uh yeah, we we saw that sort of just on a whim because the last couple of weeks nothing. Uh, Spring Breakers. I really enjoyed that. I still haven't seen it. It's 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 pretty awesome. I was I was surprised because I'm not a Harmony Krenn fan, but other than that there was nothing new that i wanted to see at all so we just were looking at what's playing at the art house theaters and and that was playing really i have no idea what that is and where,
0: where did you see it
1: we saw it at the lemley's out here the like lemley's no ho oh eight yeah. or whatever yeah Se- seven 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 S-
0: I-, I love that's that's like two blocks from my house oh, so really? i have a theater that i can walk to that's a now. cool theater and that that area is like there's you know kind of they tend to be kind of like shitty mainstream like bars and gastropubs but there are places like yeah I, my girlfriend and i can have like a night out without getting in the car That's at all nice. just like walking to a, like a movie and, and getting a burger or whatever
1: yeah it seems like a cool i've only been there to go to the movies but mm-hmm. um there's a chipotle now oh they just <laughs> built a new chipotle by my house too yeah yeah chipotle's good <laughs>
0: <laughs> all right uh Okay, so um, this movie come out and play. for those who don't know, is directed by this guy. He goes by one name. It's, I can't it's remember like what it is.
1: It's Manikov, I think. Is that right? McAnuf. I
0: don't know. Oh, McEnough. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That was That was our guest. You'll hear him <laughs> uh, <soon. laughs> Don't um, talk yet. I, I kind of like the, the, the tease, people trying to figure out who that might be. <laughs> who is this? Um, okay, so Makinov. he, um, that's not his real name. He never appears without a mask on he apparently according to the cast and crew directed the entire movie while masked um
1: (laughs) it's so weird and stupid
0: (laughs) does that does the movie seem like a guy directed it while wearing a mask
1: no and i i didn't know that seeing the movie um actually it's funny because right after seeing it i i looked up reviews because we were just like oh we don't know what this is let's go see it um and uh, and really didn't know what it was. Had no idea that it was a brutal movie about killing a bunch of children, which <laughs> was was a shock. That's a shock in the day and age to see in a movie. But um, the the title sequence was really cool. Like it's yeah. just like made by MacGinniff. Like just like, <laughs> and it seems like it feels very um early seventies. And then we you know, and then I I didn't know it was a remake of right. um of who of who could hurt a child or called, who yeah. could kill a child. I um, which I haven't seen yeah. either. Well, I feel like you're talking
0: about a horror movie here, and that's going to uh, come up a bit in this in this episode. <laughs> so, um, the the way that I've been doing these guest episodes is, is asking, like I said, listener favorites to be the guest, and then seeing if they know anyone they would like to bring on who hasn't been on the show before. So, as guest host, would you like to introduce our guest today?
1: Um, yes, our <laughs> guest is a wonderful, talented mm-hmm. actor, and also writer, mm-hmm. um, and also dog owner, mm-hmm. and also he has a really luscious full head of hair. <laughs> 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 and his name is A.J. Bowen.
3: Hi. I, uh, so do you get this thing where um, I'm 35, and I notice for the very first time <clears throat> that I have a hairline? I'd uh-huh. never noticed it before. And so Susan and my wife, unfortunately, have to hear me being incredibly like way beyond Woody Allen levels of neurotic. Like, Do you think my hair's falling out? <laughs> uh-huh. is it, am I going bald? Because I, no, I wasn't prepared for that. It went gray when I was 19, which is fine. Shit happens. Mm-hmm. But I can't. I, the, my hair is the only thing I like about myself.
0: I think I've actually had like a very slowly developing widow's peak since about 19. Like this area Well, here. now
3: I'm incredibly educated about this, and uh-huh. that's normal. That's called mature hairline. Okay, I found this out today.
1: I think that's what you have. I think your hairline is. A mature. A mature. A mature hairline, yes. It looks very. This podcast is about right. Yeah. Hair. (laughs) Yes. It's the Hair Club for Men, sponsored. (laughs) They gave us all.
0: Let me tell you the first thing I noticed about you introducing the the guest, Susan, is that you are. Uh, well-versed in this sort of thing, being on stage, bringing people up, talking. I I am, after six years of doing the podcast, still occasionally make the mistake of saying the guest name right away before giving their credits. I I did it, and that's that's always like very anticlimactic to be like, (laughs) I did did it fairly recently. I was like, our guest is Graham Elwood. He's done this and this and this, and I was like, uh, grandma would and all the air was sort well, we of- didn't
1: yeah i didn't give any credits so <laughs>
0: no credit due, no, no <laughs> credit due whatsoever. I, I, I think that head of hair counts as a credit. Uh, uh, i imagine it's on your resume my hair yeah
1: yeah it's actual because it's falling out so it's always on his resume
3: i'm trying to not say the f word but i want i'm throwing it a spiritual i'm sending it to i'm just kidding it's not falling out
1: now aj has been in a lot he has two really big movies coming up but a lot of listeners probably know him from house of the devil and the signal um and this summer uh your next is gonna come out through lions it'll be a big yeah, yeah.
0: i yeah. i know people like friends of mine who saw that movie a year and a half ago me too and have been talking <laughs> about it and how great it is for a year and a half
3: um yeah, yeah.
0: I, I, I'll say something about that really
3: quickly. That um, I saw a lot of, of friends that I know, we were lucky enough to premiere it at Toronto. God, we were shooting it two years ago now, I think to the day. We were shooting it in April of 2011, and there was a really fast turnaround on it. So it premiered at Toronto in the Midnight Madness section, and we were fortunate enough to have Lionsgate pick the movie up. And really soon after Lionsgate picked that movie up, um, I guess we started started becoming aware that, you know, in terms of people know so much with social networking and and with the, in in the digital age, they know, they're so aware of so much content, but there's still a couple of areas where people are not as well versed. And one of them is, is delivering a film and turning it around and getting it out. And so uh, some friends, some journalists um, were giving Lionsgate a hard time saying, give us our movie. What's wrong? Why are you sitting on this? What's wrong with the movie? You don't know how to do your job. It's like, well... They spend several, all of the millions on movies. I think they know what they're doing. But what they were unaware of is that right after Lionsgate picked us up, they merged with Summit. And there's a thing, you know, you you lease out theater space a year or two years ahead of time. And so for a distributor to have their own movies that they have to promote through their company, leased out. It's not very good sound business to throw another one of their movies up at the same time. Right, right. Um, And so when they merged with Summit, that instantly created uh, 15 pre-existing films that they had to find a slate for. And to be able to get behind all of these 15 movies, we kind of had to find the right slot for us. And they had never announced when the movie was going to come out anyway. So after Toronto, they let us play it at Fantastic Fest, Mm -hmm. um, which is a wonderful festival um, in Austin. And right after they let us play it one time there, it went away for a while. And <clears throat> we just I just got back from South by Southwest yeah. where we premiered it again. It was cool to go back to Austin with the movie and let people know that it's, that it's still there and, and also that it's getting ready to come out. It's coming out August 23rd, and it's a very strange experience. Susan has had to listen to me talk about this. It's a, it's a strange out-of-body experience to know that a distributor is going to be putting millions of dollars in the promotion of a movie that we worked on because you know the first movie that I worked on was with college friends it was called The Signal and we made it in 10 days for $50,000 and you know went through the whole Sundance process of oh this is going to change cinema just like Blair Witch (laughs) and and we found out as I'm sure no one that's listening to this has ever heard of that movie that that's not what happens all the time Um, so it's been an education it's been strange to know you know they just put the trailer up last week for your next and seeing them promote the film it's it's a different experience. <laughs>
0: well, f- first off, I think you're underestimating the Battleship Retention listenership. I think yeah. a lot of them have heard of <laughs> The Signal. See, seen it, yeah. Um, uh, but I'm so glad that your next is coming out because that reminds me of, uh, I guess this is maybe five or six years ago when Lionsgate was going through a, another sort of change and there was a really good genre movie called The Midnight Meat Train that mm-hmm. got kind of essentially lost and buried. It, it mm. uh, I, I got to see it at the new art because the new art themselves asked Lionsgate, like for permission yeah. to show it, it never really got a release. So I'm glad that your next is, uh, is that movie is confusing. cool. It's, it's one of those ones cool. I'm always that's telling
3: Stuart people. That's
1: Gordon, like, right?
0: No, no, um,
3: no. Oh. no, no but name, um, but Japanese. Bradley Cooper. Uh, it's the Bradley Cooper vehicle. It's based on Clive Barker's. Oh wow! Story, but
0: and it's I, got a uh, Vinnie Vinnie Jones.
3: Yeah, in it. Vinnie Jones is in it. Um, that's one of those I was trying to dis- to discuss with someone recently, in a very arrogant fashion, what it's like to have been in the world of independent film and, and to be blessed and fortunate enough to have been working pretty steadily in that world for about eight years now. Um, And I'm from Atlanta or around Atlanta and the way that I likened it um, dealing with this year next stuff is that whenever this movie comes out and when people see it for all of the actors that are in it, it's going to be, you know, our first film that anyone's ever seen. Right. You know, some of us have been making movies for almost a decade. And I likened it, very poor uh, analogy, to when Outcast put Stanconia out. That's clearly showing that I'm from Georgia. And I was like, <laughs> you know, I was an OG fan. I've been listening to them for years. And Stanconia <laughs> dropped, and everybody was like, who's this new band? And they went back and bought all their other stuff. And it was its like, I'm now hearing about people watching Midnight Meat Train because of The Hangover. It's Uh kind of because that was like pre hangover Cooper. So um, people are starting to find love for that. Lionsgate's good at that um, because they they pick projects like last year, um, and for some reason in sort of in the Twitterverse, um, it's been somehow um, turned into a, a financial failure for Cabin in the Woods which it wasn't, and Lionsgate picked that movie up and and took it away from MGM and got it out into theaters. And it's one of those ones, sort of like Midnight Meat Train, that it did fine, Um, but it did better, a lot better than Midnight Meat Train (laughs) theatrically. But what's great about the modern era uh, of film is this thriving market of VOD, Um, Mm -hmm. for me, both as... A viewer and as a filmmaker, it makes it possible for people like Susan and I to have an additional market where we can know, for example, if Susan and I are, are trying to make a movie, we can create it to a level, to a degree that no one, no investor will have a problem with Susan and I directing it together and acting in the lead roles in it together um, because we know that, okay, well, maybe that's not going to be a 2000 screen theatrical right. release, but we have the VOD market, and that's a great option, especially for people my age whose friends have children now and they can't get out to theaters, mm-hmm. but they have these amazing sound systems and, and amazing flat-screen HD TVs at home.
2: Mm-hmm. Well,
1: and I, I think, too, like, depending on the genre, like, um, like Smash just came out on VOD and DVD and everything um, a couple of weeks ago, and it seems like so many more people have, have seen it now because when it it had a traditional, like, art house theatrical release of, like, I think the maximum theaters it was open in was like 40. And that was for like a day, you mm-hmm. know, like where it was like three theaters, seven theaters, 20 theaters, 40 theaters, no theaters, like immediately. And so, you know, if it, if you didn't go to the movies that one week in December or whatever, you missed it. But now that and, and I think with that sort of a movie, um, that isn't the kind of movie that you have to go out and see in a theater like something like the avengers like batman like yes you want to see that in the theater because you want to get the full experience but a character study or you know just simple stories you comedies and dramas you can totally watch at home and it doesn't really take anything away
3: right and the financial overhead of those make it possible to have a thriving sort of independent yeah. Um, distinctive viewpoint for a lot of these films that would die within the studio system and i 'm not someone that's that 's anti studio film but they 're just a very different type of thing and for me vod now I find myself I've, you know i 've got my Apple TV hooked up to my television, and I go through it every night now and I go through Netflix and I go through vod yeah. and the emotional experience of that is not dissimilar from when I was a kid, and I would go to the video store I miss that as i mean it sound like a like a Kaji, old dude, uh-huh. where it's like, oh, when I was a kid, you go to the video store, the clamshells, but that's that's gone, right? But what yeah. VOD's done, on, um, and the ability to have these smaller films get put out digitally, um, or have a very boutique theatrical run, you know, like Smash had. All of the movies that I've done have similar, smaller than what Smash had, but you know, in a few markets, and then a few, and that's really become more of a, almost a promotional campaign yeah. for when the film's going to drop um on DVD and having the ability to to check things out on VODs great. I've found so many movies and now I watch movies where I go, "Oh man, I can't wait." I would not be able to see Room 237, which was one of the last movies I watched. Yeah. I, just watched I wouldn't that have been able VOD to. Too. I wouldn't have been that movie would be lost without the ability to go pull it up and and download it on my TV. So even though I will never give up, I will never forego what is for me the religious experience of going to temple you know Uh (laughs) the sanctity of of the movie theater um it's something that helps keep storytelling alive that is uh lower fidelity you know so that it's not about bringing in the bankable stars it can still be in an almost purely creative world where it's still about script and story
1: and i think i mean people like 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 all three of us will always see movies in the theaters no matter what. But we'll also always watch movies at home if we just really love movies and we'll watch a lot of movies. But I think that there's a lot of people that if they're going to have a night out, it's like, okay, I can go out once in two weeks. I could either go see a movie or I could go, you know, drinking or I could whatever, Mm -hmm. uh, bowling or whatever, you know, that they're going to choose something that's more social instead of just like going and sitting in theater. But then with the option of... Of watching new movies at home, it's it's the future. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, you mentioned the whole like growing up with a VHS thing. Have you heard? There's a documentary coming out. I think it's called Please Rewind. Rewind this. Rewind. Is that what it's called? Rewind yeah. This?
1: A
3: very good friend of mine is the director of that film. Oh yeah. Yeah. Who's that? Uh, Josh Johnson. Okay. He actually um, he's an Austin filmmaker, and um, it's awesome. I highly recommend it. It just played South by Southwest. Yeah. Um, and i mean i don't want to talk too much about it cuz it's josh's movie and he's, he's <laughs> going to talk about it plenty but um it's a, it's an interesting discussion to have about vhs because it is not the same thing as people that are vinyl freaks um mm-hmm. would say about the sound the audio quality of analog versus digital um because there's no doubt whatsoever that vhs is not a superior (laughs) form um but it's amazing in a way that it seems to culturally um, and you know people can dismiss it as oh that's what hipsters are into right now and that's fine whatever um i'm a hipster cool Uh because i really like my vhs collection (laughs) but it really brings people together and and going back to that you know we were talking about going into video stores everybody remembers going into their friends parents basement and what movies they were going to try to yeah, sneak yeah. you know everyone remembers what it was like to have those clamshells or to have the sleeves and we're like don't you'll wear the tape out put it in the separate re- rewind <laughs> box yeah. you know that's how you knew your friends were wealthy or hi-fi you know they had the separate <laughs> little <laughs> container that slid right in you could rewind it immediately so that you could watch Die Hard and predator over and over yeah. and over again
0: i uh i've always been uh, of so something of a some somewhat nocturnal or, or a night owl and, and so if like the kids on the baseball team or my, my group of friends uh, what little friends I had as a kid if there, <laughs> if there was going to be like a sleepover for a birthday party I'd get there and I'd be like okay when everyone falls asleep by like one thirty or 2 I'm already checking out like which movies am I going to watch uh, I, I, I have definitely distinct memories of being in a living room full of sleeping like 12 year olds and i'm watching so i married an axe murderer yeah yeah. it's going on four o'clock in the morning
1: that's that's what i do now not with not with a bunch of sleeping 12 year olds with your lover Um, yes but with my with my like i have the movies that i know that like okay i'll watch this with matt and then movies that i know he's not gonna be interested at like last night he he's been working um in new york the past few months like um he'll be gone for like a few days and then come back and like just all the like kind of girly like just shitty movie like movies that I know are bad movies like I'll watch like 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 one like one of the trips he was gone and like literally like the first night I was like oh my god I'm already watching Snow White and the Huntsman like I (laughs) need him to come back like this is
3: because you can watch Teen Witch Dirty Dancing oh I don't know if Um, I
1: not Teen Witch I don't know Teen Witch is
0: pretty great
3: yeah (laughs) you can't see it but like I could right now I could drop into top that like
0: you love Dirty
1: (laughs) Dancing I do love Dirty Dancing
0: I'm not a fan of Dirty Dancing, except for when she says, "I carried a watermelon." I think that's a really funny <laughs> line reading, and I find her very I like charming. It, I like it so much <laughs> that I I stole a scene from it if, uh, and, and forced Susan to allow it to be in our screenplay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. I actually uh, put a pin in that because I do want to talk about your screenplay, but I also want to talk. I want to go back to talking about horror movies real right. quick because um, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm familiar with. Yes, yeah, so you've been <laughs> in movies directed by Ty West and Adam Wingard, and and yeah. these guys are you know very much part of this generation being featured in things like VHS and the ABCs of Death and Mm -hmm. stuff. Did you fall into that, or are you a horror fan yourself? That's a
3: two-part answer. Um, The first being that I grew up on horror. Okay. Um, And and partially for a lot of the reasons that we were – the things that we were discussing before, um, I grew up in a fairly religious household, and that was – Something that I wasn't allowed to see, but you would go into the mom and pop video stores and you would see the cases for these movies. I will never, for- I think that there are a lot of us that remember the cases of movies and possibly not even the titles, uh-huh. but we would see them and we would know one day, I will watch that movie. <laughs> I'll never forget seeing I Spit on Your Grave, the box for it, and being like, one day that's mine. <laughs> and what a horrible thing to think (laughs) when you're like 11 years old. Um, I certainly don't feel that way now. Um, but that was an entire relationship that I had. And for example, all the Friday the 13th films, I'll never forget the front and the back of all of the boxes of those VHS cassettes and how frightening they were before I had any context about what the movies were. And I had a friend, um, still, um, like a brother to me. Um, his parents were a little bit more liberal with what they allowed him to watch. So I would go over to his house, and I experienced all of these horror films first through him. And that was pretty much exclusively what we watched. Um, I know that lots of times when you talk to actors who have made a lot of genre films, and then they seem to be doing other things, um, it seems sort of like, A stepping stone, something that they got into so that they could get out of it as Mm -hmm. soon as possible but for me the other part of that answer is that it was just a happy accident because I grew up watching almost exclusively those types of films, at least during my formative years where I was starting to figure out what storytelling was and what I was interested in and um, so I had a voracious appetite for him and had seen everything um, before I'd ever made one film and the first movie that I made, I booked off of a random audition in Los Angeles from a casting director it was in a play that I was in. And I couldn't have known that it was going to be as not high quality of a film <laughs> as it ended up being. Um, but it and was the, a the film called Creepshow 3. <laughs> um, but I remember when they told me it was Creepshow 3, you know, I owned the first two on both laserdisc vhs and dvd and i was like i don't see king or romero here and uh what's up um but i'm got to make a movie at universal like six months after i moved to la so in my mind it was like living the dream my best friend who's a film director um was visiting my wife and i in los angeles while i was making that movie and so he and my wife came up to universal and got ushered in on a golf cart and like, Oh, we'll take you to CAJ. We'll (laughs) take you to a star wagon, you know, as though I (laughs) had made it, um, which was fascinating in and of itself because this is how I should have known what, what the quality of the movie was, aside from having read the script, um, was that every six minutes we had to stop shooting. And the reason we had to was because the Jaws ride would start, <laughs> and oh, and man. I was like, well, Spielberg would get that shit shut down. Like, uh-huh. there's no. <laughs> so every six minutes, a tram would go by, and you know they would shout, you know, oh, brand new Universal picture, even though Universal had nothing to do with this film. Uh-huh. And I remember we were shooting at the best the the set for. The best little whorehouse in Texas, and Which again, is an awesome movie. again being a, a product of the South um, and, and a bit of hero worship to Burt Reynolds, I felt mm-hmm. very, very cool about being there. And um, so I thought, you know what? They always wave, and I've made it. I'm a movie star <laughs> now you know what they would you know it's time to give something back (laughs) they would really appreciate me being a regular person so i walked down to the edge of the set and i had like my morning cup of coffee and a cigarette in my hand but i was dressed like a security guard because that's what i played in the movie Uh right and this tram goes by first one goes by and i wave and it's like hey i'm just a regular guy you all can achieve your dreams too like i clearly have and the next time it went by i'm doing the same thing and this kid is in the back had to be probably 14 and he looks at me and he flips me. T- he goes like hands up like, like, what's up? And I'm like, hey, kid, achieve your dreams. <laughs> and he gives, flips me two birds <laughs> and he calls me a loser and then puts the L on his forehead. And that was very telling. And that was the last time I did that. Um, but, yeah, that was um, – but my my best friend was – watching this happen on set, you know? And so he was, when we would get done shooting, we'd sneak through like the war of the world stuff. We'd sneak all through universal, which I think is against the law. And a few months after that, he was getting ready to make a movie and thought, Oh, well he didn't know that it was, he was only there for one day. He had no concept as to what the quality of the project was, but he knew that it was a horror film. And he and his producing partner, who was also a college friend of mine, these guys, I I grew up with them. Um, Said AJ is the star of a horror film at Universal. We should get him to be in our horror movie. We don't know anything about horror movies, but he does. He likes them a lot, and so does Scott. So we'll put him in the movie too, and then we can sell it saying that horror actor AJ is in it. And um, they wanted me to play this one character in this movie. I was like, I don't want to do that. I've been playing good guys my whole life, and I've always been playing like silly comedies. I want to do something with some meat on it. I want to. I, I want to. I want to explore some darkness and so that movie ended up being the signal Uh and i ended up playing the guy that bashes everybody's bashes like a little girl's head in with a pesticide tank and is totally insane right and the reason i did that movie was even though they were best friends of mine was oh well he's a movie star now
2: (laughs) so they could convince their investor
3: one investor who wrote them a check for fifty thousand dollars that it's okay we've got an established actor which is total (laughs) bullshit um so i ended up doing that movie and it ended up being you know it's still my favorite movie that I've been in um partially or uh, probably in in large part to how special of an experience it was to the guys that you know you learn about cutting films together on on You used VHS to talk about Creepshow 3 here right Absolutely <laughs> absolutely I'm looking forward to the Criterion <laughs> Show 3 Yeah no it was uh, it was a really special experience but little did I know that that one time playing like sort of like the dark dude that I would look up eight years later, and it had been like pretty much exclusively being like the crazy emo guy with a beard, which I grew out to do that movie, and now it's become a thing where, you know, I, I'll get a call like Ty, uh-huh. for example, um, we we worked we got together and worked again um, this past fall. The very first thing he said to me before we did it, before he'd even written the script, was like, "Bummer news, dude." gotta grow the beard out. I was like, no, dude, let me out of the beard world. I can't do it anymore. Uh, So I grew the beard back out for that. But yeah, I don't know where I was going with that.
0: So this thing that you guys are are working on, is it horror? No, Uh, not at
3: all. It says sex comedy.
1: (laughs) It's not a sex comedy. It's just... It's not? No, I don't... Unless that that wasn't in the script, but that that was your plan. There have been some changes. (laughs) Oh, the new script.
0: (laughs) You know. <laughs> the
1: blue version.
0: So, Susan, why don't you, as guest host, ask AJ about the thing that you guys are writing together. <laughs> okay. Um, so,
1: I hear that you're yes. working. This is, what good luck that you're working with someone like Susan Burke, because she is extremely talented. And that that she would work with someone like you is kind of a shock to me. I'm, not,
3: I'm sorry. I'm not <laughs> totally familiar with the name. I just answered an ad on Craigslist. I thought it would be good for my resume. <laughs>
1: Oh okay. <laughs> that <laughs> that was a different. Act.
3: Susan, uh, I've spoken too much. Do you want to talk about the history of our grand love affair,
1: <laughs> our deep
3: <laughs> relationship?
1: We well, it's strange that we didn't know each other because we I got, guess that's really the point. It's yeah, like, it's <laughs> funny about it. Um, because we have a lot of, of friends in common and have you know people that, that we've both known for for years and and never really crossed crossed paths until Twitter. Um. And you like well, you started like mentioning Stalking me you. and stuff Stalking on you. tweets, and I was like, w- "Like who is this guy?" And then I, I was like, "Wait, that's that actor! <laughs> like what? <laughs> Weird!"
3: The only person that's ever said <laughs> that about
1: me. Like that's <laughs> a guy from House of the Devil. Like that's and I and I I love House of the Devil. Um, and then but but you're really funny, and then we started like talking on on Twitter. And and then realized. I, I mean, I knew that you knew um, Amy. That Simons. I knew that you knew. <laughs> you knew that I knew that I knew that you knew, and we all knew, yes. um, but we didn't know. And that was the murder mystery dinner that we had. Um, my I was roommates with um, with Amy Simons, um, who's an actress and a and a filmmaker, uh, quite a while ago. And um, I, you, and Amy had starred in a couple of movies together. Yeah.
3: She basically lives at my house. Yes, and she lives at your house. She's like a sibling.
1: And so we realized after we had sort of been communicating on Twitter, then you found out. Yeah, well, I I was
3: stalking Susan. on. That was back when I had a Facebook account as well. So I was doing double duty and I was on (laughs) Amy's page. Um, Basically, what happened is the writer of A Horrible Way to Die, um, as a sidebar to that, I found out way after Susan and I started to get to know each other that we had both Never lived in Missouri, but had both made movies in Columbia, Missouri. And not only that, the director of her movie, the, the, the director of the movie that she made in Columbia, I was very close to and somehow didn't know this and pretty much treat his parents like my parents. And when I'm shooting movies in Columbia, which has happened a few times now. I stay at their house. So it was like an incredibly small world because I'm from Georgia, Susan's from Wyoming, and we both ended up in L.A. And what's really crazy is that once we started to hang out, we found out that we were a very short foot walk to each other's place.
1: We lived literally like Um, two blocks away. So, yeah.
3: So basically Simon Barrett, uh, our friend who wrote A Horrible Way to Die, and You're Next um, and did VHS, um, he kept – Retweeting this person on Twitter. And I don't like Twitter. I don't like social networking. I I don't know why. I know why I'm there now. It's because Lionsgate asked me to not delete my account or say terrible things. (laughs) So, um, fuck the man. Um, But, (laughs) I said the F word. I'm sorry. You can say that. Fuck. (laughs) It's freeing. It's liber. Everyone who's listening to this, just say fuck out loud. It feels good. Um, He kept retweeting this person that was hilarious. And I never really thought Simon was very funny. <laughs> that's I, and, and so after I started figuring out what retweets were, I figured out that it was the same person. that Susan Burke. And finally, I, I started following her um, as a devoted fan. And then one day she said something, and I couldn't help it like I responded to it. And then she validated my existence by following me back. Oh. And this is important to mention because it made it possible for me to further direct message harass her, and which I did. And um, I was on Amy's Facebook page. This is so stupid that this story is going like this. Um, I was on Amy's Facebook page. I saw that she had mentioned happy birthday, sweetheart, or something like that to Susan Burke. And I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> so I immediately called Amy and was like, who is Susan Burke and why don't I know her? uh she's um she's my own roommate you know what i mean she's like <laughs> she's great she's the greatest i was like no why don't i know her i don't need to talk to you anymore amy i need to talk to susan because she's funny and um i remember we tentatively started hanging out a few times with like a supervisor like with amy there and um we just started talking and finding out that th- all of the things that i was just mentioning that we knew all of the same people and that it was a very small world. And then we ended up at South By together.
1: Yeah, then last year, um, we were both at South By Southwest. So which I think the listeners know what South By is. But <laughs> <laughs> um, So we we ended up eating a lot of barbecue and and hanging out then. And then we talked about uh, writing something together. And then we wrote uh, a script together really quickly. Yeah. Um,
3: Yeah, it was it was a strange experience because I had had false starts with a writing partner before and where and and it's a tricky relationship to navigate when you're writing together. Um, When two people trying to get one unified voice from one writer is hard enough. And when you've got two, it's really tricky, especially when there are people that are usually like very A-type mentality to be writing, to have the, the ego to write a script in the first place and trying to navigate those waters is treacherous. So I had a lot of starts and stops with other people. Um, And we kind of just talked about it a few times, um, mentioned an idea of of the sort of things that that we were both into. We kind of found out that we both pretty much love the same type of movies. And for me, as an actor, I love horror, like I mentioned. But beyond that, I would say that the most the most well-versed area of film for me has got to be 80s cinema. And um, I think it's really criminally underrated and underviewed by people. They think it's all silly. you know. Like I've, I've, Susan's heard me talk about Roadhouse before, and I'm not joking about that movie. I almost got into a fistfight with a guy that tried to say it was so bad it was good, and I was like, fuck you, it's so good, it's awesome. <laughs> it's like Yojimbo. It's a samurai movie you don't understand. I wrote a thesis on it. That's how I got out of college. Um, but Susan and I were talking about 80s movies, and we just kind of, had an idea to to do something that was different as performers um because we're automatically going to come at that from that place a little bit since we're both actors um and we're both writers so it was a really fast process um just sort of like the way and to me it kind of felt like when you're a kid talking about like you know like hanging out in the basement watching movies you're talking about oh you know it'd be cool what happened here if this happened and then this would happen and i don't from what I can gather, our process was very different than other people's process with writing a script. But we looked up and feeling like we had been incredibly lazy with it. We were done with it in what yeah. six weeks, something like that.
1: Well, what we did is we just we just uh, like we did the secret real hard. We just like secreted the script <laughs> <laughs>
2: like
1: real hard. Like we manifested it. Um, no, and, it, and it's uh um I guess because we haven't. We haven't made it yet um we will we will be making it um now i'm secreting it real hard the power of positive thinking. <laughs> yeah. um, but i think I, board, I think we right? will there's there's yeah there's there's interest and stuff but so i think it will be, be happening but um it's just sort of i guess uh 80s it takes place in the 80s yeah and like is,
3: what i had talked about is that like in my mind I was like really interested at the time and in both in, in terms of execution when you're doing something that's like really hardcore um violent um and your friends have kids and you have nephews and nieces you you're also interested in something else you know I can I can't speak for other people but I like doing different things and so Susan coming off of writing something that was a pretty intense story um it, it's crazy, you know, like, um, I mean, Susan and I don't really talk about it much, but, you know, we're both sort of, we're both sober people. So writing the script was sort of silly because we didn't even think about that until it was done and looked up and said, well, the characters that we've written for each other, they're drunk this whole movie.
1: Um, <laughs> they're not drunk, but they, they drink. Like they normal, drink a lot. Like normal um, people. They
3: drink like regular people. Yeah. They're yeah. <laughs> non-afflicted people. And they're and um, their
1: parents.
2: Yeah,
3: but we I've been watching a lot of, like, Carl Reiner movies. Um, I'm a big fan of Paul Mazursky. Hmm. And... Um, I'm a really big fan of summer school and love that tone um, that nobody's doing right now um, because it's either a message movie or, you know, it's like cliche. And kind of wanted, we kind of wanted to tell a story about a family that just loves each other. And then, you know, friends of ours would hear us talk about it and they'd be like, well, where's the conflict? I'm like, well, they're poor. Yeah. Well, yeah, but where's the, where's the <laughs> other conflict? And Susan and I were like, well, you know, we could add like, a nuclear threat if you want <laughs> but it's pretty much they're poor and they love each other and then uh susan and i try to make each other laugh when we were writing it um
1: and it is i think it is too about sort of you know being our age like, like early 30s and, and and though this is in a different time period where when you're in your early 30s you're an adult um and and so and, and parents you know and i think like especially living in Los Angeles, it feels like, oh, I'm just growing up, just right now. Like, mm-hmm. I, and then we wanted to write it like, no, these are these are adults. These are adults being adults. These aren't, you know, like adults that are really big Star Wars fans or something, which is, you know, I am a really big Star Wars <laughs> fan. But, She's a liar. <laughs> but, you know, that the, they're the grown-ups, but then to still have them sort of struggling to, like, um, put – be their own family and like it's sort of about like getting um like establishing your family for yourself instead of like the family that you come from and so there is there is conflict i think for for each of the characters kind of going back to where they're from and and dealing with with their parents and their family that they've um that they haven't had a a lot to do with so i mean there is conflict in that but there's not conflict in in like big major ways what i was saying is that
3: there's not um North Korea does not invade <laughs> America at any point in the script. But yeah, we each kind of wanted to do something that was that would be fun for us to act in together. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when your friends and your creative people you're like, Well, we need to find something that we can act in together. Oh, I've got an idea. Why don't we just write it? Yeah. And then we're like, Well, at this point we've written it and we're gonna be playing the two lead roles. Uh, we don't really want anybody else to be directing this because we're both directors as well. So it's like, okay, well, cool, this is, this is an easy sell. Here's our script, written by us, starring <laughs> us, directed by us, give us all your money, thank you.
0: <laughs> so as um, directors, do you guys envision it having, in terms of, like, in addition to being 80s inspired, do you see it having an 80s aesthetic?
3: You think okay. to telephoto Julia. lenses, smoke Does in the foreground. Just that sort go, of. Go for it. It's set in 1987, All so right. so it's um and and for a number of reasons other than that's where the story lives in, but when you talk about the 80s, it's much more interesting, I think, for writers to talk about to tell a story in a time where there were not cell phones, uh, where there were there was no internet. Um, it was a different type of of world. When you think about how radically life has changed. Almost all of that change has to do with the immediacy of communication Mm -hmm. now. So much of it. I mean, crazy for me to, I started high school in 92 and I graduated in 96 at the end of that, the internet was around and you know, I got out of college without a cell phone. I moved to New York. I was living in New York for two years without a cell phone. And now I see, you know, like my seven year old nephew has a cell phone, has an iPhone. Um, that just makes, that's a different type of living in it And it, and it requires a very specific type of storytelling. And there's something about the culture of the eighties that sort of resonates with the two of us that it just seemed like the right time to do it. Also
0: the music was so
3: good. Yeah. <laughs> and plus we can make some of our male friends have perms.
1: Yeah. Which is, yeah.
0: A couple of things. Your seven year old nephew has a, an iPhone. Yeah. I would, it, like up until I was fourteen, I was routinely leaving my jacket on the bus. Yeah, like, I, know, I right? can't. I, if I was a parent of a kid, I wouldn't want to trust no. them with a two hundred dollar device. I don't I, trust any children. I got <laughs> an <laughs> email
1: from my um, from my nephew sent from his iPod that was that was really cute. That, <laughs> uh, that that was uh, about smashed and he said aunt susan i want to see smashes <laughs> <that> was it. <laughs> i, was like, it's my iPod. My I really iPod.
3: i really like to think about children <laughs> watching smash specifically for some scenes with nick offerman <laughs> i really want to see someone <laughs>
0: um do you th- uh isn't it um, do you think it's because of people uh roughly our age i mean you're, it sounds like you're a few years older than i am but roughly our age who you- do you think my? But
3: does can you tell from my hair?
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, when you walked in, I was like, "This guy's about this guy's five years older." <laughs> That's me in five. It's a matured hairline. <laughs> um, uh, you see things like with uh, with Drive, like what was that? Twenty eleven, a couple years ago, which I didn't love that movie, but uh, that very much embraced that aesthetic of right. that time. And do you see that coming back because there's a a generation of people who grew up on that now now making movies.
1: I don't know. I'm burping. Oh, you're burping? <laughs> Go ahead. Burping. Yeah, you look like you were really considering but, that question. Yeah, that, that as well. <laughs> I mean, I, I, and I suppose that Drive does have that aesthetic. I don't think about it. I mean, other than like the, the artwork on, on the posters. But it's very I
0: synth-heavy I get what music. you're saying
3: because it's got like this sort of like Michael Mann – but uh, like the Man movie Hunter I thought era. of was Manhunter yeah. when I saw
0: Drive, which I love. Manhunter, yeah, as, dated, got, as dated as it seems, it's, it's got like, that it's an awesome. It's movie. got
3: that same sort of like that meets Walter Hill mm-hmm. kind of a thing going on with it. Um, I get that. I think that um, I think that's naturally going to happen because when you've got our generation of people that are now not just the young people making movies, but you know, people working actively yeah. in the studio system, you know, Jesus, we could I could be president. If I hadn't done all that cocaine,
1: um, <laughs> Barack Obama did cocaine too. It's in his sweet. Book. <laughs> it's Obama's America. Everyone do cocaine. It's fine. It's fine now.
3: Um, I think that you're gonna. I th- the things that are starting to interest me um, when you're looking at cinema. I think that we're n- predisposed as as a culture, as a as a popular culture, at least domestically, with th- things like social networking sites. Everything is either the best or the worst, mm-hmm. and people are predisposed to, to view things sort of cynically. So I see that a lot, and it's a bummer, you know. But while that's going on, I'm also being reminded that this generation of people that are making movies now really grew up on 70s American cinema. They watched a lot of Monty Hellman. You know, they grew up on 80s cinema they were watching those movies. They, you know, like people like me know are really well versed in Walter Hill. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I would tell people that, and, and, and what I was talking about before about without irony, like I legitimately believe Beverly Hills cops an amazing film. And I can start to see people that have watched formatively those two decades of Mm -hmm. cinema, um, starting to make films. Um, it's, it would be impossible for them not to just like, if you recall um after pulp there was there was before pulp fiction came out and then there was yeah. after and for 2 years every movie was trying to be pulp fiction yeah, it yeah. changed the cinema language and when you're talking 70s cinema every movie that came out did that mm-hmm. you know and so you've got these people that have been inspired by it i think you're going to see a lot more of it i think um some people use it just as an aesthetic
1: Well, I think, too, now, actually, there's a similarity with um, independent cinema and on-demand as... is to the way that studio pictures were being made in the seventies. Like right. you look at something like Carrie and Tonto, like mm-hmm. that somebody, you know, going into like a studio and pitching, like I want to make a very long movie about a man going on a road trip with a cat. I wanted to and, start Art Carney. <laughs> yeah. yeah. An Art Carney who hasn't worked in like 30 years. <laughs> yeah. And you know, I just, and it, I mean, which that's one of my very favorite movies that wouldn't have been made in in the nineties, I don't think, but but could very easily be made now with uh, you know, three hundred to six hundred thousand dollar budget to get sold to IFC. You know, like
3: like what you're talking about. That happened for about a year and a half in the late nineties. Um Sundance Festival blew up and people started seeing movies on the independent tip like swingers like mm-hmm. Sling Blade and the mm-hmm. studios saw that and the studios saw these movies being made for a relatively small amount of money and now that's huge money compared to the world oh, that yeah. we live in yeah. with making cinema.
0: I remember uh Billy Crystal even joking about it when he was hosting the Oscars saying this is the year of the independent film, next year look forward to a bunch of thirty yes. to fifty million yeah. dollar independent films. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and and
3: it was sort of a sea change. So you, but it gave us studios dropping eighty million dollars to make a movie like Fight Club. You yeah. know? That year of Cinema Magnolia yeah. getting made,
0: that the was way that it did,
3: that's a studio year. picture. Uh, now, yeah. Battleship Pretension did a
0: four-hour episode with our friend Josh Fadem about just about 1999. It's, it's, it's the there's a reason that,
3: that all cinephile film nerds talk about that year. It's the year that a, a bunch of studio heads lost their jobs at the end of. <laughs> um, but we'll always have that cinema. Yeah. And that year, that one to two-year period was as informative for people like me who were, getting, who were in college um, who were, you know, way deep into '70s and '80s cinema, finding inspiration from these things. Um, now we're going off with the digital revolution, and we can get a camera, we can shoot it ourselves. Um, there's a there's a give and a take with that. It's a lot easier to make a movie than it used to be, and some people don't respect the medium enough to really learn how to do that. So they're like, oh well, you know. I saw, they'll see something like Slacker, and they'll fail to recognize that Linklater knows yeah. storytelling uh-huh. to a ridiculously high degree, um, and they'll just go, "Oh, well, it's a dude talking. I can do that shit all day long." And then they'll see clerks and they'll be like, "Oh, but no, you just make it black and white. That's an art film."
1: And mumblecore is born. Like, fuck you! <laughs> don't bring that
3: word up. Um, but yeah, like a lot of people don't don't see the value in learning the pedagogy. But there are a bunch of people who do. And for me personally, a lot of the guys that I've worked with, um, you're talking about people that have found a way to make it work in this in this time. You know, like our friend Amy, um, able to make a, a story, tell a story on her terms. And she knows her craft. And now people start taking notice of that. The mumblecore people. Um, You see people like my good friends, Ty and Joe Swanberg and Adam. um, You're seeing studios, again, starting to go, oh, wait, who are these Duplass people? Who's Lynn Shelton? Come make a movie with us. We'll give you a a whole million dollars to do it. And they're figuring out things, you know, like with Cyrus, where like Mm -hmm. if we get a couple of names of actors that are starved for creatively fulfilling projects, we can keep the budget pretty low. And then we can make these quirky, weird movies. And
0: did you see Jeffy Lives at Home? Yeah, that was—I—I uh, I really was disappointed at how that seemed to come and go because I thought that was a—but it's got a, a really a great really, movie.
3: But a lot of those movies yeah. now have a really strong shelf life, you know. And I personally am like, thank you for having Radon Chung in a film again. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's been a long time since Soul Man.
0: But I also feel like Jeffy Lives at Home is a movie that like my mom would love. Like, I—I I, I wish yeah. that I wish that it, that more people had, As, I had seen that.
1: I haven't seen it because just the sort of premise of like I, I dismiss anything that's like oh it's a man child like oh it's a grown-up and it's and but it's not.
3: about so much more
1: well i'm sure it is well now i'll watch it <laughs> it's also now.
3: got susan sarandon oh i love so susan there sarandon. you
0: go it's also inspired by m. night shamalan signs which is uh... <laughs> everything is at this point isn't it? <laughs> Okay, I want to put the brakes on because you guys have said uh, a couple of things that I want to. Uh, you guys have been so interesting, I haven't really. I been apologize. Interjecting, the, yes, trying to be so we interesting. We talked about a movie forward. that doesn't exist.
1: For the show. <laughs> but there are yes. things I want to I say. Love it.
0: First off, I want to say, Susan, I'm so glad that you wrote back to AJ's DMs because more than once, someone <laughs> that I follow has followed me on Twitter and I've sent a DM like, "Hey, would you like to be on the podcast?" oh, looks like that person doesn't follow me anymore. <laughs> so I'm glad to hear that that, that does work for some people. Um, I also want to mention that I also love Beverly Hills Cop, but I think it has a really weak ending that uh, always, uh, when it gets to the big shootout at the end. Can you
3: be more specific? Uh, this is a serious, this is this serious well, allegation.
0: When I think about how much fun and how much momentum Beverly Hills Cop it, it has, the fact that it culminates with like Judge Reinhold's sort of Popping up from behind a hedge and shooting a a a, a pistol is is yeah, but that's cinema verite, man, that's
3: real life. Life is a letdown. <laughs> it's really cool and fun, and you go to the strip club with Axel Foley, and then it ends and you're dead. And um, I that just think that that it was keeping it real. So I <laughs> Look, I only, I only
0: disagree with you by a matter of degrees because I like I own the DVD. I go watch that movie anytime. Um, probably the best movie Martin Brest ever made. Uh, I'm trying to think what else. Uh, he he would be on... We don't need uh, to
3: talk about it because it's just Beverly Hills Cop. (laughs) It's fine.
0: Yeah. What else did he make?
3: I don't want to talk about it. (laughs) Meteo
0: Black. (laughs) Geely. Was that him? Did he make Geely?
3: Yeah, he did. did.
0: Yeah. Yeah, so not a lot of competition, I guess, in this career, (laughs) but yeah. uh, And then, okay, I want to talk about Mumblecore. Yeah. Why don't you... You don't like the word or...
3: I don't really have a problem with it, but I know that my friends that make Mumblecore films do. Um, I think that there's a misconception... Um, it was an art movement that was not, there was nothing going on with it that was calculated from the people that were making movies that were termed after the fact as
0: mumblecore. Yes. I'm I'm, I'm so on the same page because I like a lot of those movies and I have also, we've had people on the show before, uh, Aaron Katz and Andrew Reid who made Quiet City and Cold Weather. We had, um... Multiple times we've had um, uh, Dallas Hallam and Patrick Horvath who made Mm -hmm. a movie called Entrance that got saddled with that label. Patrick's my buddy. (laughs) Um, And uh, it really bothers me because I I do think it is something that technology afforded a certain aesthetic to develop naturally, and I don't think that it was... It wasn't like Dogma 95 where they sat down and said, Right,
3: what people are basically saying that shit on Mumblecore is they're saying you're personal stories are bullshit and they have no value so you should not make them because I don't connect with them. Um, I'm friends with both the guys so I want to talk about it a little bit but it culminated for me last year um, at Fantastic Fest actually Mm -hmm. because I had made genre pictures for the most part but the movies that I watch are not just that and what I'm interested in as an actor and what I do these people sort of found each other so there were two different parts you know there's this art world that some of us lived in and then there's this independent genre world and when you mix them because naturally these people run into each other at film festivals and you start to become friends with people that have similar interests that want to tell stories that tell stories for little money on little time that are personal in nature Um, you bond a lot through having similar experiences and then you decide well I don't have any money but I know these people that are pretty talented let's try to tell a story together and I think there's a lot of beauty in that that gets overlooked a lot of times because and you know, I to be fair, I've done it myself where you look at it and you're like, "Oh, that's white people problems." Yeah. <laughs> cool, it must really suck to be an affluent white kid post college smoking cigarettes, talk, taking baths, playing the trumpet, talking <laughs> and having ennui, you know, like but I know those people and those filmmakers were telling stories that were personal to them at that time. That takes a degree of courage and integrity to be willing to tell a story that even for me personally doesn't work half the time you know I look at it and I'm like ah this isn't my thing but, but I never negate the value of it and so we ended up down I'm friends with Devin Farachi and I'm friends with Joe Swanberg and they've had a back and forth for a couple of years um, about the merits of uh, of mumblecore because people that self associate as nerds and shit on hipsters Somehow to me from the outside looking in there's no real difference because they're trying to qualify art and the second you start qualifying art you defeat the purpose of it existing in the first place it's like why do you want to take something away from somebody that's value so they started to debate the merits of mumblecore a term that Joe never used um all Joe knew is that well, I have ten thousand dollars from someone that I can make a movie with. Okay, that means no jib arm. That means no serious post or color correction. There's for ten thousand dollars, I can make a couple of lasagnas and we can shoot a movie in eight days. And so I'm gonna try to figure out how to do that. And then if I can sell it for fifteen grand, maybe I can make a movie next, the next movie for like eleven or twelve thousand dollars. And that existence is um, is very meager and very humble. And so for me, I'm very protective of that as an art form. Um, is, is it what I want to watch all the time? No. But it doesn't matter because for, there are people who feel less alienated and less alone from watching that movie. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's the beginning and end purpose of art make somebody feel a little better, a little bit more connected with somebody else. If, if they have a shitty life, just 90 minutes where they can forget how terrible it is and think, maybe I'm not totally alone. I'm not trying to be pretentious here, but that's...
0: The words you're using, alone and alienation, I know you're talking about the genre as a whole, but I think the thing that spoke to me so much about Entrance, and uh, I saw the film first and then we became friends with the directors, yeah. is that it's uh, probably one of the best movies I've ever seen about what it feels like to be alone in a big city. Right, uh, which is a very specific uh, type of type of right. we, and
3: in it. and some people that's not their thing. Fine, I hear people crap on tile all the time for you know like slow burn, or they get it's like the the nerd patrol, which I'm a part of. I'm wearing a NASA T-shirt. <laughs> it's not fake, uh-huh. you know. Like I can't associate with it because they're determining what's cool and what's not by you know passing judgment on Twitter or, or wow. on their blogs or on their websites. And they're, they're completely dehumanizing the art, which is the entire reason for it to exist. And so, I'm, you know, speak, speaking of my friend, he's a good friend of mine, but Devin hated entrance. And it, how he told me he did was like, oh, AJ, you're going to love this movie. And, and that's when I, found, I saw it and I was like, who, who made this movie? And that's when I found out that my best friend, Jacob, who directed Signal, um, lives next door to Patrick. Oh. And so Patrick just walked by, and he was like, yo, Patrick made Entrance. AJ was in Signal. And they were like, oh, my God, it's nice to meet you, and Ty introed Entrance downtown. Um, and I, I think that if you start trying to qualify what should be made, especially when you're talking about something that costs very little money, that's very personal to someone, you've lost the whole purpose of art. Um, and I think philosophically, anyone who would... Throw that energy out there. If you took them aside for five minutes and just had like a rational, like heart to heart with them, you know, deflated the ego on both sides a little bit. I think that every single one of them would say, "No, I, I agree with you. There is value." But it's sort of like that same culture that we were talking about before, where everything's the best or it's the worst. Mm-hmm. There's nothing that's oh, that's fine. I told somebody that I thought the place beyond the pines was it was all right. Um, that turned into AJ hates the place beyond the pines. Quite, <laughs> quite literally. It didn't even require a telephone game. I just told someone, uh, you know, it was fine, and that turned into AJ thinks it's the worst pile of shit ever made. I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> um, but yeah, I all those people that made mumblecore movies or made alternative cinema, you know, they would talk about Casavettes. They would point you in that direction, and then you know, the people that are opposed would say, well, Casavettes had scripts. And that's fine. An art movement that's organic, that isn't calculated, has pros and cons. But those people that kept making them are now making bigger movies that are still personal. But you can see, you know, it's sort of like the wheat from the shaft. Like, Linklater's making amazing movies now. Mm -hmm. You Mm -hmm. know? And he has been the whole time. Not every movie is a grand slam, but he's trying every time to do something interesting. Soderbergh, same way. These are the guys that started out doing what the mumble co- Mumblecore guys were doing. you know, They were telling personal stories. Look, it, Lena's got one of the biggest shows of all time now. That's a Mumblecore person. And, and what I would say to that is beyond the internet chatter of whether or not there's any value in girls. There has to be, because mm-hmm. there are 23-year-old women that have felt alone in America, or parts elsewhere, that when they watch that show, someone opened up their brain for the first time and is showing everybody else how they think, and, and more importantly, how they feel. And again, that's what art is. And I can't say that there's, I can choose to not watch it if it's not my thing, but there's absolute value in that, you know? And the studios are noticing, networks are noticing, Mm -hmm. because... You know, Joe's new movie, Drinking Buddies, has Olivia Wilde. Anna Kendrick, it's his best film. It shows maturity. And these people that kept making movies, they put up with a lot of bullshit criticism from people. They're just like, I'm so tired. Nothing ever happens in their movies, and then it's just boring, and I don't get what people are liking. They're actually reactionary responses to the New York Times mentioning them and saying there was something going on there, you know? like And and for me, like to hear Ty today, it was amazing – to see the response to Roger Ebert passing Mm. to see for, for one day on the internet, all of these people that shit on everything and each other who I know are actually friends with each other, they all just stopped and no one ironically said, well, did any of you actually know Roger Ebert? They're like, no, we'll miss you. This was an amazing, this was a watershed person in cinema language. And for someone like Ty, his ability to make movies was instrumentally marked by Roger Ebert mm-hmm. giving him a positive review. Not only that, just starting the conversation of cinema. Just that's all that all these things should be: conversation starter. They make people bond, and that's what we did when we were kids, and that's what these filmmakers are trying to do
0: now. Um, a couple of things I want to say, and if we can, because uh, I wanted to talk about Roger Ebert. Um, as, as you mentioned, this episode won't go up for a few days, but he he died today, the day we're recording this. Um, but I wanted to go back real quick um, to add to your point about, about girls specifically, but the, these sorts of um, very personal stories in general. A- anyone who listened to what you said and took from that, well, I've never been a 23-year-old woman, uh, is denying themselves some of the uh, opportunity and power of art. That's, mm-hmm. uh, it, uh, I, I think opening yourself up to the idea that any personal story that is not personal to you can still be effective is uh, – I think what's that's something that's made me a better – Cinephile, and uh, I dare say a better person.
1: Well, I mean, and, and those people who say, I've never been a 23 year old woman, have you ever been a Vietnam veteran? Have you ever, you know, been a Jedi? Have you ever been anything that I've you been see? A Jedi have you ever been a dreams. Ghostbuster? Though, I mean, like, there's, I think, and, and not to be like, well, as a woman, but I do think that a lot of the criticism of girls specifically and of Lena Dunham specifically is really misogynistic. And Absolutely. it is, if that show. Was about you know male characters doing the same thing. I think there would be the criticism there would be the white people problems But there wouldn't be the like, you know people saying like there hasn't been a black person on season one like It's like so what like they're not racist. That's there's like five people on the show (laughs) Look
3: at the difference in the discussion of nudity on that versus the nudity on true blood Oh, right and the way the conversation happens. It's pornographic and extreme on girls No true blood. It's sexy you know, it's like, why do they need to be naked all the time? I don't get it. You're just trying to shock for shock's sake.
1: Just showing bodies that are like the bodies that we see at home in the mirror on TV, I think is is frightening to a lot of people. And somebody who's actually putting herself out there and saying like, you know what, this is my body and I'm not ashamed of it. And, you know, you shouldn't be ashamed of me for being ashamed of it. I mean, I think it really makes people look at themselves because, and I think it's extremely important what she's doing because you know being a woman like people constantly look at you as as a performer as an actress i've had you know possible managers tell me that i needed to lose like 20 pounds you know tell like and i'm not overweight you know like mm-hmm. but just like getting these extremes of like well you know if you want to be on tv if you want to like you know actually be it considered a, a romantic lead and not just like a weird best friend, you know, you need to actually be a size two because on TV that'll read a size six and just like ridiculous shit like that, which it is extremely misogynistic. And I know that men go through that as well, that there is like the pressure... To not go bald and to not get fat.
3: Why Are you looking at me? <laughs> Why were you looking at me?
1: <laughs> but, but I think it is very different, and I think that you know people are so used to like seeing if there is a woman that is you know, and and Lena Dunham's not overweight, so I hesitate to say overweight, but it, but whose body isn't you know cookie cutter Hollywood mm-hmm. hot girl body if she's nude in a movie or something, that's a joke. That's, yeah, she, exactly. that's, that's what I was going to say is that
3: it seems like someone takes those lessons of, of like humanity, which yeah. basically what you're talking about and goes, you know what? Let's have a TV show where the two leads are fat and they talk about how they're fat all the time, yep. but they're in love. So it's sweet. America yeah. will love that shit.
1: Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: And then you watch five years of network TV, you know, it's not all shit, but like I, they're learning the wrong lessons from it that they're even having the conversation. About that is like you're not really seeing what's going on. Well, it's on just here. I
1: mean, how often when people talk about Roseanne, like, and when Roseanne yeah. was the biggest show in America, people would always be like, oh, she's fat and she's she's obnoxious. No one was saying like John Goodman's so fat and like John Goodman, love him so much, but he's much fatter than Roseanne Parr yeah. ever yeah. was, well, and that was yeah, never.
0: He, he he has lost a bunch of weight in the last years. Has year, he? So. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's that um, that's
1: good because I want him to live a lot of time. Cause that cause that I love him.
0: Uh, spoiler for Treme season one, he dies in Treme season one. What? And then there's like a dream sequence or flashback in Treme season two where they brought him back <laughs> for, and he's like 120 pounds thinner than he was. Um, uh, anyway, that's not Well, the his point. ghost
1: is his ideal self. <laughs> right.
0: Um, but in, in it, uh, I know this is turning into a TV discussion, but, um, one another thing, cause I'm a huge TV fan. Uh, I watch as much TV, if not more than I do movies these days. Um, uh, in addition to the the the, the bodies uh, uh, thing that you guys are talking about, there's also just the idea of uh, a show like Girls being led by F- very flawed characters mm-hmm. is somehow so much more of a turn off to people who are happy to watch Walter White or Tony Soprano or uh, you know uh, even uh, Raylan Givens on Justified, like all these all these people who have a lot of problems, a lot right. of things that are not mm-hmm. healthy and not likable, but we're so much will- more willing to. Not even not only put up with that but embrace it and then call Walter Weif's uh wife uh a bitch, which is the most uh, annoying right. thing in the world to me. She's like yeah, the yeah. most she's the most like human character yeah. on the show.
1: Well but, Walt Jr. is pretty when, human. Yeah. Yeah. When people
3: talk about those things, you know, and they're like, Well it's a t- it's a terrible role model for people. I'm like, You again, fuck off with that because <laughs> that's not the purpose of art. I am not a fucking politician. Okay. okay. Um, that's not supposed to make somebody, this is how you should try to live. No, it's saying this is how some people live. And again, people can plug into that. And the quicker that people, any person that can relate to art, it helps them get closer to the essence of being them. I'm not talking about morality issues or whether or not
0: someone should be an ax murderer, you know, um, but Each gets... person should decide for themselves whether or not they should be an axe. Absolutely.
3: <laughs> Just watch my movies and see what happens to people that murder people with axes. And it always ends badly. As a matter of fact, I'm pretty sure mine and Susan's movie won't get distribution because I don't kill anybody with an axe. In
1: well, it. and, and so. because there's a female character in it who doesn't give an awkward speech at a wedding. Um, <laughs> which... No, I think that's what I do, isn't it? <laughs> i give an awkward speech I, at a red lobster Sorry, <laughs> spoiler alert <laughs> but just that you know like talking about like like female lead characters every single hollywood movie or or you know in a lot of the independent movies starring yeah. women in the last two years have revolved around weddings and i i love the movie bridesmaids and i'm a huge Kristen wick fan but like they're like this is a great movie great let's make 19 other movies yeah, exactly. about uh-huh. about women getting married and I'm a woman getting married and a comedian, and if I see one more comedy about women getting married, like I'm gonna fucking freak out because women do many, many, many other things besides get married. And like, but
3: you know what else they do that I now know w- from watching these? They what? poop and fart.
1: <laughs> they oh yes, they they do that, and that's that's funny because we we don't expect because you're princesses. It's I mean it's literally. It's as old hat as, like, having, like, somebody saying pussy, but they're not talking about a cat. Like, just, like, really? This is our joke? Like, it's, it's, it's what, 1952? Like, we can't go beyond, like, like that with, with female characters. And it's, it's a bummer.
0: Do you know what else uh, uh, women apparently do at weddings that aren't their own? What they stand up and give a toast that's actually all about themselves. Oh yeah, it is the that's is my least favorite trope. That has happened
1: ever. in like five movies in the past in the past two years, where it's just like yeah, the, the selfish, horrible friend who like I don't care about that person. Like that is a, a situation See, where it's like no, I don't, I don't care about the it's mean.
3: The, but I think that I'm noticing this so much in culture that. Even today, you know, when everyone's like marking this huge loss, yeah, um, for cinema. Um, Thank you for bringing us. Back. And they somehow <laughs> no, no, I'm not trying to change the subject at all. They, they somehow, you still watch seventy percent of people that comment on it in social networking are somehow making it about them in some way, you know, and and that's fine, but to a certain degree. But it reminds me of that David Cross bit, you know, when he's like. So do you think um, on 9-11, do you think the employees at the New York, New York Casino in Vegas, do you think on 9-11 they they felt it just a little bit more? You know, because I quite literally saw someone today on Twitter say, always loved Chicago. This is a terrible loss for all of us. And I'm like, okay, wait. Okay, wait. So you... Once started reading more of their tweets and I'd watch them talk about it all day long. Like I'm, I'm literally crying right now. I'm like, you're literally crying, not figuratively crying <laughs> over what it's a sad moment. But like, they're like, I have lost everything today. People. It's like, you never met the man. Yeah. Don't make it about you.
1: I made it about me on Facebook. What did
3: you say? I, well, I'm not on Facebook.
1: No. Well, no, I didn't, I didn't. But, but this year, um, but, uh, Roger Ebert gave, smashed a really good review. That's not and, making it about and you. And that was the goal, a life goal that I never thought I would achieve to have somebody who I respected so much for all my life um, and and really listened to and became like the arbiter of taste, you know, for me and taught me about so many movies, liking something that I made. And on another level, he, you know, I know was, was also in recovery and that, that he sort of had personal like, um, anecdotes in the review which he doesn't normally have. Like it, it really made my life. You know, like I feel like okay, like it, it, hopefully I'll make other stuff <laughs> and other good stuff. But yeah. but that is a goal that that I've achieved, and and that I never got to meet him. I wish that I could have met him and you know thanked him for everything that he's done. But but that so I so I did. Actually, make it about me. You're that that I'm a terrible am, person. You're not my best but friend I, anymore.
0: That's that's a good way to, to inject yourself into it. You've got an actual thing to add. Yeah, that's the not the same
3: as like I remember. I I was a, I watched a John Hughes movie once. No one feels more pain than I do right now about the passing <laughs> of a total stranger. Right, right, You know,
0: but you know, um, to to bring it down a little bit, like I didn't when I heard. I I, I haven't uh, tweeted or anything about it because I didn't know what to say because right. I was. Um, I I did I t- took myself by surprise by how upset I was. Right. Yeah. Uh. And, and so I still don't know like how to be eloquent or anything about about it. But that, um, both as a as a movie a cinephile, uh, the age that I am, who could watch at the mm-hmm. movies and uh, with uh, you know, with with Siskel and Ebert, uh, and also as an, someone who has been aspiring to be a film critic and I guess now technically I am a semi-professional film critic, but uh, he was not only a great lover of movies, he was also a really good writer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think that was um, uh, very important and very formative for me. And also the fact that he would give... Something that I try to do, he would give the exact same amount of time and energy and thought into a review of Daddy Daycare as he would Irreversible. Like, yeah. right. no matter what the spectrum, he respected uh, respected movies. I
3: kept seeing things today where people would say, I didn't always agree with the man, but I respected him. And I get what they're saying. Um, because, and and this is becoming a rarity right now. And that's one of the reasons that I think that people responded with so little cynicism, um, not about his passing, but about people's heartfelt responses to Mm -hmm. it. I expected more people to start shitting on that part. Mm -hmm. to go, oh, yeah, you knew him, like I was just doing. (laughs) (laughs) Um, They were much better people than me. Um, I was taken aback by how many people were being, people that I I know to say, if you didn't know someone personally, you've got no business talking about their passing. Those people were, were mentioning his loss. And it's becoming rare, right? It's becoming less prominent that there's a conversation and a dialogue. About cinema, Mm. we're getting into this world where it's increasingly less about. You sometimes have to wonder, and I think quite fairly with when it comes to um, when you read a lot of criticism, you start to wonder: Does that person even like cinema? Yeah. You never question that about Mm -hmm. about that man, and he and 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 no one seemed to take that away from the two of them together either and passionately i remember so strongly when they would more than when they would disagree on a film together yeah. and the way that they would just go at each other but you knew these men respected each other and
0: have you ever seen that that clip on youtube of them <laughs> like, that outtake of yeah. them like sniping at each yeah. other it's <laughs> so and, great yeah, yeah. yeah.
3: i'm going to watch it the second i get home tonight it's so good but he just you never no one ever questioned his love and it was so thoughtful and yes there are things he didn't like that other people did I never read anything from him, and this is someone who made predominantly the types of movies that he largely shit on for his writing career. <laughs> you know He was not a fan of my favorite type of horror film at all. So it was lonely as a kid to be like, "I love Slasher movies," and to have Ebert be like, "Slasher movies are pointless." Yeah, you know, but he somehow would have a way of writing the language of it and, and the intellect and the open heart, kind heart that he seemed to have, uh, you'd come through the end of it, and you'd be like, oh, well, agree to disagree. Thank you, sir. <laughs> and that's awesome, you know?
1: Well, and he did something that uh, that I think, especially now, like, our generation is so quick to judge and so quick to shit on something. Like, I, I feel like that's just the thing. Is like, take a thing. What can you make fun of it for? Like, exactly. what's terrible about this? Make the quickest joke you can about how, you know, just be snarky. He would always... Look for the good in things and look for the good in in ridiculous movies. And, you know, he would point out like why there is merit to it, even when he didn't like the movie. And I love that show as a kid because the conversations would be, you know, they would sometimes they wouldn't change each other's minds completely, but they would. Like respect each other's opinions on that, and they wouldn't be like, Well, you're a fucking asshole, what do you know? which is I feel like America <laughs> that's you know so much of of what is out there now, and that there was a lot of like just thoughtfulness and and positivity in in what he did and then and then, when he really didn't like something that he wasn't bashful about it and i'm I'm talking more like you know politically or. In the last few years, he became very prolific on Twitter, and I think that that sort of you know helped him because he couldn't do much else like other than than write and blog, mm-hmm. but that he was really outspoken and controversial late in life yeah. and I mean he was
3: really brave that in my mind is what defines a statesman, you know a statesperson, someone that is continuing to keep a curious mind mm-hmm. and um Remains vital and plugged in, you know, I I randomly and and a lot of us did um, Retweeted the article he put out a day and a half ago mm-hmm. saying that he was taking a leave of presence. Yeah um, It we spoke a little bit about it, it was it's like almost as though he he knew mm-hmm. um, But it's that time when you like you, there's there is such an Absence because you know for a lot of us progressively minded people the things he would talk about would transcend the films that he was criticizing and they would get at more societal things which is what artists are trying to do anyways and so there's just so little of that going on you know it's easy to be nostalgic because of our age to talk about how things used to be but that's when you know there's like such a true loss there because you know for like what Susan brought up a little bit, you know, on everyone can, could relate to something that he said or Mm -hmm. wrote on a personal level for sober living people, something that he was fairly open about, but a lot of people never knew was Mm. that he was a recovered alcoholic. And the other thing, you know, what's amazing about him is that he didn't have this. There's a common thing today with people that are journalists becoming their own personalities. And I've seen this happen with filmmakers too, where it ceases to be about the stories that they're trying to tell and instead it becomes about selling a product and that product is an image or a recreation of themselves. And they view that as valid art. And that, again, in my mind, that's not doing anything artistically. And I've watched a lot of journalists. I've seen them on a personal level go to film festivals. Uh, go to events and stand somewhere and let people come to them. And they become personalities. And they were there, you know, will this person, I'm trying really hard not to mention names, will this person give it a positive review or will they destroy this film? They have that power, that (laughs) ability to do so. What's was amazing about someone like Roger Ebert, and it doesn't happen enough in the modern era, is that his personality... Existed because of his brain and mm. his writing. Um, and that's why people wanted to talk to him. I don't know many other film critics or people that would write about film that would respond to an email from you. Mm. And he would, hmm. um, thoughtfully and kindly. And I don't know anybody that met him that.
0: Uh, my absent co host did just, when we lived in Chicago, just met him randomly downtown.
3: Well, I was going to say, like I don't know anyone that that met him that wasn't Mm – that didn't tell me immediately. Like once it
0: had happened, oh, my God.
3: I I got to hang out with Roger Ebert today. It was amazing. And it's like like highly effective people are like that and people that are curious. It's attractive. It's infectious.
0: I also like to point out that when people were calling him racist for not liking Tyler Perry movies – he never stooped to the "Hey, my wife is black" card, <laughs> yeah. which makes him a mensch <laughs> in my book. So I think this is a good place to uh, wrap it up. I think that was uh, uh, that was a good talk. So uh,
1: yeah, it was uh, emotional. Yeah, yeah,
3: it was really a rip roaring, funny,
0: <laughs> lighthearted event.
1: <laughs> and everyone should watch Beyond Valley of the Dolls, okay. which Absolutely. Roger Ebert wrote. Yes. Yes,
3: everyone should be plugging into their own solo Russ Meyer film fest for the next <laughs> that's, five days. That's
1: the my uh, my my lover's favorite movie. Yeah, actually, yeah, he he loves that movie. And
3: I thought that your lover's favorite movie was the baby.
1: <laughs> he loves the baby, but that's more of a joke. Have you seen the baby? No, what is that? It's about an adult baby. <laughs> it's from the seven. We're talking
3: like Jonathan Winters, like Mork and Mindy style. It sounds terrible. Like, like it's something else.
1: Okay.
0: Okay. You can find me at battleshippretention.com writing reviews and all sorts of links uh, to other stuff there. I'm on Twitter at the pretension. Susan, you are at that Susan Burke. Yes. People can find Smashed uh, where finer DVDs and Blu-rays are sold, yeah, as well as on VOD. Yeah. And um, iTunes. Your website
1: that com and the baby is available on netflix instant
3: <laughs> um i am available yes. at len hamhock <laughs> i'll spell it l-e-n-h-a-m-h-o-c-k um aj bowen dot me um i am represented on netflix instant to varying degrees of success and uh we've got lions gates putting our movie out august 23rd which is awesome and And the sacrament i'm really excited about the sacrament okay i haven't gotten to see it yet because ty's been editing my face with the the, with the mature hairline for a solid few months now Uh um but yeah i'm really looking forward to that one so we'll probably be premiering that some festival right after your next comes out
0: so thank you aj for being here thanks for having me thank you for guest hosting Uh, Oh, thank you so much. And uh, thank you at home for listening, and we will talk to you again soon. Bye.